0: Welcome to Tuesday People. I am Mitch Album, the host of the program. Tuesday People is a podcast based on the book I wrote in 1997, Tuesdays with Maury, where I sat alongside my old college professor as he was dying from Lou Gehrig's disease and learned the most important lessons in life once you really realize you're going to die, really accept it, and how those lessons can help us have a better life now when we're young enough, healthy enough, to do something about it. And each week here on Tuesday People, we take one of those lessons that was inspired by our many, many conversations in those final months and explore how they relate to where we are today. And we do this every Tuesday, and we're so glad to have you joining us as part of the Tuesday People podcast. Normally, this is the moment where I introduce my friend and producer, Lisa Goich, But Lisa can't be with us today. A sudden medical procedure disrupted our plans for doing this podcast. So I'll be doing it solo today and also with best wishes and thoughts for Lisa. Please don't worry. This is not something that's heavily serious or anything has to be concerned about her not being able to come back in any way. She's going to be fine and hopefully will be back with us next Tuesday without much interruption. But our hopes and good wishes go out to her right now. And I'll be handling the solo wheel on today's podcast. Now, before I get into the subject of the podcast, which is heaven and different views of heaven, something that some people are thinking a lot about these days, I want to address something that in the last couple of days has also gotten quite a bit of attention, a piece I wrote for the Detroit Free Press uh, that concerned itself with anti-Semitism. In this day and age where we are very heightened In our sensitivities towards others, as we should always be, Uh, but where tweets and social media posts can get people fired even at the slightest suggestion of intolerance, of racism, of bigotry. We're in a world where you can be fired for a tweet that you sent out. You can be fired for a tweet that you just retweeted. You can even be fired, as was the case of a soccer player recently, for a tweet that your spouse sent out. So in that world where everyone is looking over everybody's words and being highly sensitized to anything that could be construed as intolerant, it was kind of jolting to see that a series of social media posts on Instagram and others that followed on Twitter and and the like— were anti-Semitic in nature and didn't seem to cause a whole lot of attention. Uh, The original one sent out by a football player for the Philadelphia Eagles named Deshaun Jackson, who initially posted a quote that he thought came from Hitler about Jews being having plans to destroy the world and international conspiracy and trying to keep African Americans down and then other quotes from... Louis Farrakhan, uh, that suggested similar types of things. By anybody's view, anti-Semitic posts, it took several days before they even got noticed. And when they did get noticed, there wasn't a huge outcry about them. And there were a couple of Jewish athletes who said something, and there were a couple of other notable media voices and a few other athletes who said something, but nowhere near the response that we are normally used to when someone is discovered to have put out bigoted, insensitive, hateful remarks. And the team itself, while issuing a, an admonishing statement, didn't do any punishment. A day went by, two days went by, three, four, five, almost a week, before finally the player was punished with a fine, an, a non-disclosed fine. This was after several other athletes had jumped to his defense and said what he said was right and uh, truthful, and he shouldn't have to apologize, etc. So I ended up writing a column that seemed uh, apparently to get a lot of attention around the country uh, about anti Semitism. And the upthrust of it was that Jewish people, as Maury Schwartz was, uh, as I am, aren't surprised anymore when anti-Semitic remarks get repeated or tossed around on social media and don't get the outcry that other similar remarks against other ethnic or religious groups do. And that's because anti-Semitism is the oldest form of bigotry in the world. It goes back to biblical days and really has never had a pause since then. And I wrote about hoping that these players involved, I don't wish for them to lose their jobs. I don't think it's necessary. I don't think a lot of people need to lose their jobs over the things that they said. The best case scenario would be for people to learn their lessons from them, learn something, be smarter for the next time. And so I tried in that piece to just sort of say, listen, I don't want anybody fired, but listen to this, please. And I tried to lay out some of the historic elements of anti-Semitism that go back to the to the days when, they were pursued by, when Jews were pursued by the Romans uh, and, and were, were killed and during the Crusades and when they were burned for uh, being accused of the bubonic plague and being accused of being Christ killers and being accused of wanting to drink Christian blood and being accused of being dirty and money-grubbing and having big noses and uh, all the way through to even the last century, 85 years ago, when they were rounded up throughout Europe and sent off to death camps. Six million Jews murdered, their bodies tossed in pits, uh, shot in the back of the head, gassed in showers, experimented on like rats. There are people alive who remember that still. There are people who are walking around in our country and elsewhere in the world with numbers still tattooed onto their wrists and their arms. And for those people who still have those memories, to then read that you can tweet out or Instagram out anti-Semitic remarks and only maybe get a fine in return, those people would be horrified, and rightfully so. And I want to just say that, you know, while I'm very heartened by how many people took that column to heart and, and, and around the spectrum of people, including many, many African Americans, uh, and it was it, it just reaffirms my belief that most people are good, And I appreciate that. Uh, But I know a lot of people read that and have sent me notes about it. And, you know, all I was hoping and I'm trying to do now is to point out that hate is hate. Hate is hate. And you can't separate one form of hate from the whole collective hate any more than you can separate a breeze from the wind. They're all part of the same emotion. And if we're going to call out hate against other groups, rightfully so, then we need to do the same and be as angry and be as outraged when it is called out against Jewish people. And anti-Semitism is every bit as vile and hateful as other forms of racism and should be treated as such. And seemingly a lot of people in the world agreed with that notion, and I was happy to bring it to momentary attention through something I wrote. Now, Maury, as I mentioned, was Jewish uh, by birth, but Maury kind of identified with uh, all religions of the world, he called himself a religious mutt and said that uh, basically he read all different types of texts and all different types of, of uh, religious texts and, and felt that he could, he could relate to all of them. And uh, if there was something good, something that uh, uh, he found comforting in one of the posts, uh, one of the uh, faiths, then he would go with that, and if he found something that was comforting in another uh, faith, he would go with that. So uh, a little bit of a, of a mutt. But along the way, we talked about heaven. And heaven is a subject that I've spent a lot of time talking about and writing about. Uh, several of my books, The Five People You Meet in Heaven, The Next Person You Meet in Heaven, which is a sequel to that, uh, The First Phone Call from Heaven, are uh, all even had heaven in the titles. And so I have explored in my fiction writing a lot of different notions of heaven. And a lot of people have, based on their faith, their own notions of heaven. And I want to talk about them a little bit here today and what Maury thought as he was very close to the end about heaven and what was coming next. Uh, Now, because he was Jewish by faith, but then, as I say, sort of a religious mutt. Morey thought for himself when it came to heaven, and it wasn't a particularly dogmatic about, well, this is the way it is because I've read it in a text. Morey had the idea that there is something beyond here, that there has to be something beyond, because it's just—it uh, would be too sad a world if we just ended afterwards, and as he after we died, if we were just put in the ground and we were just worm food, and so— As he got closer to his death, he talked about dreaming about a bridge that he would walk over and seeing it in his dreams and wondering if it wasn't such a great distance between life and death as we thought. And he also talked about what would happen in terms of justice. Now, a lot of people think about heaven, the first thing that they think about is, do I get in? Do I have what it takes? What is required to get into heaven? How good do I have to be to get into heaven? Most faiths suggest that there is a bit of a give and a take uh, here to this. Uh, For example, in Christianity, obviously those who have accepted Jesus uh, as their Savior uh, are able to be in the kingdom of heaven. In uh, Judaism, there's a concept of olam haba, which means the world to come uh it is not as well spelled out as it is in christianity but there is a sense of what you did here on earth is comes back to you in in heaven and if you did good works here on earth you'll be rewarded in heaven even if you were not rewarded so during your life on earth in islam uh, the Islamic version of heaven is a paradise for those, I'm reading from a website here, whose good works have outweighed the bad as determined by the straight path laid out in the Quran. Heaven is a garden where the faithful lie upon couches, surrounded by beauty, surrounded by uh, virgins. There are other elements and lore to this as well. Uh, and other religions have other notions of this Buddhism and Nirvana and. Hinduism as well, all of them seemingly tied to behaving well while you are here on Earth. Now, I raise the question to Maury, what happens, because here on Earth, a lot of people act positively, do good deeds, are helpful, and they're not rewarded, they're fired from their job, they get sick, they get robbed, their house burns down. And I asked Maury about if there isn't payback for that later in the afterlife, if it isn't about, well, don't worry because it'll all come back to you in heaven, wouldn't that be difficult? Here's what he had to say. Yeah. Play it.
1: Well, it's true. There is no justice in this world.
0: That's not a great comfort to people.
1: No, but it should make one fight harder for justice since there's so little of it.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. It doesn't mean you give up. It just means you work harder.
0: The cynical person will say, well, if it's all the same in the end... If there's no heaven or hell or no nobody got an answer to whatever, I'll let I'll let the guy next door be the nice guy and the caring, and I'll I'll take advantage of his goodwill and I'll live. Uh, you know, and what's to stop them from doing that?
1: He can't be sure. <laughs> he can't be sure that so he won't be paid back. Uh. You don't know. I don't know. He doesn't know whether his evil deeds will come back to haunt him. Mm. He'll never know. So if he wants to take that risk, it's up to him.
0: Pretty interesting, uh, the idea that, well, it's the not knowing, isn't it, <laughs> that makes you stay on these straight and narrow uh, here on earth. And uh, this this speaks to something about heaven that even to people who are not religious, don't have a particular faith that they follow or concept of heaven they follow, they, they still understand, I think, the value of heaven. And that's this. The notion of heaven and believing in something afterwards, something where the scales are balanced, helps us in our behavior here on earth, right? If we believe there are consequences to our actions here on earth, and in heaven we're going to have to pay for the things that we did, or if you believe in hell, then you might end up there if you really have some serious consequences coming, then we end up behaving differently here on earth, because we believe that there's something, an eternal reward, and we need to behave for it. Now, there are cynics who will say, well, that's why religion invented heaven, to try to get people to follow it here on earth. The less cynical will say, no, that's the beauty of heaven, is that it kind of coerces you in a certain way to make sure that you behave well here on Earth as well. We're a prelude to heaven, and the things that we do here do matter and do count. Now, you don't have to do well here on Earth just because you think that there's a heaven, and you got to make sure you get your ticket punched. In fact, as Maury points out here, That shouldn't be the reason, necessarily, for you to be a good person.
1: But you don't act as a good person. You don't pursue justice and truth and certain kind of equality and democratic ideas of you're participating equally as well because you're going to be rewarded. You do it because it's the right to do now because we believe in this common idea of a common humanity where we are all part of the ocean and therefore each depends on the other. And Being part of this human family means that we take responsibility for each other and try to do the best we can to be as concerned for the needs of the other person as we are about our own. If you can do that, then you've achieved something great, I think.
0: And how do you know you're right?
1: I don't know I'm right at all. That's what
0: I believe. What a beautiful sentence that is. I don't know I'm right at all. That's why I believe. Where knowledge ends, that's where faith begins. That's where you have to begin to believe because there is no certainty, because we don't get to go to heaven and then report back. Wouldn't that be something if we did? One of the books I wrote that I referenced, the first phone call from heaven, was about people getting phone calls from their loved ones who had passed on, and in those conversations, brief as they were, the people told their loved ones here on earth that they were okay, that things were good. They didn't give a lot of details, but they they made them feel like, yes, there is a heaven, and yes, I'm safe on the other side. And boy, would that change people's point of view if they really believed that. But there's, there's so many different concepts of heaven. Let me share with you a few. Maury referenced a story there that was uh, sort of a Buddhist kind of overtone to a heavenly concept about the waves. I've told this story once or twice in the podcast here. There's these two waves and they're flopping about in the ocean and they're having a great time. And then all of a sudden, one of the waves sees the shore and it starts to panic. And the other wave says, what's the matter? And the scared wave says, look, the shore is coming. And the other wave says, yes, yes. And the scared wave says, you don't understand. We're going to flip a few more times and then we're going to hit the shore and and that's it. It's all over. It's the end of us. This is terrible. You don't understand. And the other wave calmly says, no, you don't understand. You're not a wave. You're part of the ocean. Maury delighted in telling that story over and over. And it does have a beautiful concept in that. and, and, And it's got a heavenly overtone in that we're not really... Human beings were souls that share this existence. And perhaps when this particular existence is extinguished for the human form, the soul just returns to some greater collective of souls that we're part of. And whether we come back in another form or just move into other people or whatever, we flip like water that used to be a wave and is now sucked back into the ocean and later becomes another wave. So that's a beautiful concept for heaven. There's another story that I love about a man who's about to die and an angel comes to him and he says, could you show me heaven and hell? Show me the two places I might go to before I die. And the angel grants his wish. And the angel takes him first to hell, the netherworld. And down there are, he sees, these long banquet tables, long, long banquet tables. And there are people seated around them. And there are just feastfuls of amazing food, the most incredible meats, the most incredible desserts and vegetables and just exquisite food all lined up at the table and all these people sitting at the table with their arms stretched out in front of them locked unable to partake in this amazing food for eternity in other words forced to suffer to see what they could be having and yet they don't get it forever and ever their arms locked and denying them the thing that they want the most Well, the man was obviously upset by this, and he said, Oh, take me someplace else. Take me to heaven and show me what heaven is. And the angel agrees and takes him to a place that looks remarkably the same. There are all these same tables. There are all these people. There's all this amazing food on the table, and the people have their arms stuck out in front of them. The difference between heaven and hell is in heaven, the people are feeding the people across from them. And therein you see, in that beautiful concept of heaven, the idea of helping one another and giving to one another is a heavenly concept. That is, the highest form of ourselves is to help the other person, in this case, eat. That's a beautiful view of heaven as well. I wrote a fictional work, uh, my, my first novel actually, The Five People You Meet in Heaven, and it was based on an idea that my uncle, Eddie, an old uncle of mine, had inspired me when I was a kid. He told me a story about a night that he died on an operating table for a few moments, floating above the bed, and looking down and seeing all his dead relatives, who had already died ahead of him, waiting for him at the edge of the bed. Now, being the salty character that he was, when I said, what did you do, Uncle Ed? What would you do? He said, what did I do? I told him, get the hell out of here. I'm not ready for any of you yet. And uh, apparently he scared them right back to heaven, and he, he went back into his body and lived another 10 years or whatever. But the idea of there being people waiting for you was something that I incorporated into the five people you meet in heaven and created a world in which the first step of heaven, I would not be so presumptuous to create an entire heaven. But the first step of heaven was that you got to meet five people from your life, five people who you had had some interaction with. It might have only been for a second, but you changed their life forever, and they changed yours. And in heaven, you got to see how meaningful your life was by meeting these people who explained to you Do you realize by the act that you did here, there, whatever, you changed me forever? And the point was to try to teach people, like my Uncle Eddie, who thought he was a worthless guy, that there's no such thing as being worthless, that every life matters and every human contact matters and every life has an effect on some other life, just like you can't throw a a stone in a pond and not have ripples come out from it. And that was my concept of heaven. So there, there are many different views of it. But I think whether it's, whether it's the Christian form, whether it's the Hindu form, whether it's the Jewish form or the Buddhist form or, or any, of, any number of other religions' concepts of heaven, I think all of them do several things. One, they give us something to aspire to after we're done here on earth so that we can feel that there is more to come. And that may be of a more of a comfort to us than anything else, uh, that we don't go through life dreading death in such a horrific way that we can't lead our lives because we're so busy worrying about what's going to happen when we die. And Maury certainly didn't do that. In fact, Maury used the time that he had before he died in the most brilliant and most colorful way. But also, heaven helps guide us in our behaviors here on earth. And if we have a positive concept of it, then it can lead us to do good things here on earth. It can bring us comfort that we're going to see our loved ones again, which is a huge part of what people hope most from heaven. I think if I asked most of you, what what is the one thing you want to make sure heaven includes? I think most people would say that My loved ones, the people who have gone before me, are there, and I can see them again. And that is the promise of heaven for so many faiths, and that that keeps people—really, again, it affects the way we live here on earth because it enables people to deal with loss. Think about how many times at a a funeral, particularly of of a younger person who had so much time left in their life, and you feel robbed— you feel that it's unfair. Those years were, were just whisked away. They were stolen. What is the line that often gives people comfort? Something along the lines of, well, he's in a better place now, right? right? A better place. That helps us deal with the grief. He's with Jesus. He's with the Lord. He's, he's not feeling any pain anymore. It, it enables us to deal with, again, our life on earth. So, so much of heaven is intertwined with our life here on earth. It isn't just something that sits way, way out there and we don't even think about or doesn't really affect us until we die and get there. No, there's a reason that heaven is portrayed in so many ancient paintings and and is written about so often and is sung about It's because it affects the way that we live here on Earth, hopefully in a positive way, hopefully inspiring us to do good. That, to me, is the true value of heaven. Now, it's interesting, in Maury's case, even though um, he said to me, I'm not going to know where I'm going to go, and you're not going to know where I'm going to go. And it reminds me of... uh, an old rabbi in a book that I wrote called Have a Little Faith, where he left a tape recording for his congregation to be played after he died. And that's exactly what happened. And after he died, um, the congregation gathered for a service for him, and his grandson took out this cassette tape, put it in a recorder, and played it over the speakers. And they got to hear their beloved cleric's voice one more time saying the two questions that i get the most uh, here on earth is one do i believe in god and he said yes i do which shouldn't surprise people for a rabbi and two what happens when we die that was the most or second most question asked of him throughout the course of his life what happens when we die and he said on the tape the good news is, by the time you hear this, I'll know. The bad news is, now that I know, I can't tell you. You're going to have to figure it out for yourself. And in that sentence is really the magic of heaven as a concept that the, the true magnificence of it is that we can't explain what it is or tell anybody what it is until it's too late. And we can't know what it is until we get there. And therefore, we have to act in the way that we think best gets us there. Maury did that in the right way, because he didn't do it just to get there. He did it because it was, as he said, was the right thing to do. And as he said, I don't know I only can believe. But I will tell you, to put a little coda on this and relate to the book Tuesdays with Maury, that before he died, Maury recorded a little message for the people of Doubleday who ended up agreeing to publish Tuesdays with Maury. I tried to get the book published numerous, numerous places and was told, not interested, boring, you're a sports writer, you can't write it by so many places, I was just trying to get Maury's medical bills paid and get somebody to just give us enough money that could pay his bills before he died. And finally we found that one publisher was willing to do it double day and they did a you know, they were wonderful about it. But of course Maury never got to meet them because he was up in Boston and they were down in New York and he couldn't travel. And so I asked him one day to record a message for them that I would play after he was gone, because I knew I wanted them to have his voice and that they could hear it and it would help inspire perhaps the publishing of the book. And so I came in one day where I always, as I always did with a tape recorder, and I just explained the thing. And he said, all right. And I said, well, are you ready? Do you want me to, you want to practice? And he basically said, you know, he didn't practice at that age. Just turn on the tape recorder. And here is the message that he sent that ended up, when they heard it, basically being a voice from heaven with some directions for them on what was yet to become the book Tuesdays with Maury. And I dug it out of the archives, here it is.
1: Hello, you good people at Double Day. Thank you for taking me into your company. Thank you for taking me and Mitch into your company. And I know it depends on you all, we can do our part play a fine duet, which we will. But then after that has to come the beautiful music surrounding and entering as many people as possible. And I do hope that you will convey that music as far and wide as possible. So I want to thank you for your future efforts on our behalf. And I may or may not be around when this Occurs, but I'll be looking down, cheering you on, and hoping that everybody's very happy.
0: What a beautiful message to get after he had passed, and after they got the book, which was months after Maury had died, to hear Maury's voice, sort of wishing them good luck in publishing the book, and and telling them. I'll be watching, which I always appreciated because I thought it kept them on the straight and narrow. I'll be watching from wherever I am. And this is what we hope for all of our loved ones, that they're watching us and that they're sharing in this world as we're going through it now and uh, that we get to see them again. So heaven has uh, very practical purposes, even here on earth, in terms of how we behave, how we believe how we guide our actions, uh, and even in the case of occasional message like that, uh, the joy that we can take in hearing a voice that has otherwise been forever silenced. So I hope that provides some comfort and something to think about as we go on through this summer week. Uh, we do this every Tuesday, and you can check us out at wetuesdaypeople.com, where you can find all of the Conversations that people can get involved with and previous shows, etc. Uh, and you can always find out more at mitchalbum.com and go right there to Tuesday People Podcast. If you want to hear any of the previous episodes of our podcast, you can do it then. We know that Lisa Goitsch will be back with us next Tuesday and we're sending all our love and best wishes to her as she recovers. And we look forward to a conversation with you again in just a few days' time. Until then... This is Mitch Album, author of Tuesdays with Maury, saying to you, see you next Tuesday.
1: Thank you for listening to Tuesday People. To be part of our conversation, join the Tuesday People community at wetuesdaypeople.com. Subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode and share it with your friends. We look forward to having you with us every Tuesday because, after all, we're Tuesday People.